Take out your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to the Old Testament book of the book of Numbers. Uh, book of Numbers, you're like, I, if, it's no shame if you need to look in your table of contents. Go ahead. All right, the book of Numbers is not probably the most uh, often read book in your Bible, but it's a phenomenal story we're going to look at here in a few minutes. If you haven't been with us, here's what we started two or three weeks ago. We started a series called Mountains Can Move, and we started off actually looking at a teaching that Jesus basically delivered to a crowd, but the context of it was a dad who had a son that wasn't being healed, and this dad was like, if you can do something, if you can do something, he's like, if I can do something, if I can do something, he said, all things are possible if for those who believe, and then the dad cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. And so what I challenged you to do about two weeks ago, three weeks ago is this, is what is the area of heaviness in your heart today that seems like a mountain, that seems immovable, that seems unchangeable, that seems like no matter how hard you push, no matter how hard you pray, no matter how hard you hope, it's not moving at all. And so many of you, you took a rock and you actually put that down, as did I and as did my wife, and we put that down, that one thing. Maybe it's been in your life a month, maybe it's been in your life for generations. What is that one thing that you're going to say, God, I want to commit this to you, and for the glory of God, would you move this mountain? And you all put down all sorts of stuff. Thank you for your vulnerability. You put down very transparent things. You put down some general things. You put down things, obviously, like, uh, please save my marriage. God, would you help us out of this finances situation? God, would you bring back my prodigal, all health situation, all that stuff? Thanks for doing that. And we've looked at a couple. We're going to look at a couple of more. We're going to look at those in the next couple of weeks. But today, I want to look at something a little more insidious that sometimes spurs on a lot of the other stuff. Uh, just like maybe a disease might have some symptoms that... You're not really sure what it's pointing to. Maybe it's like, well, they have fever, or they have sores, or they have indigestion, or they've got, something's going on. What is that pointing to? What we're going to see today, very, very, very common in our day. Actually, one, one therapist said, this is the smallpox of our generation. More Christians come in for counseling. This is the root issue than virtually anything we've seen in the last few years. Today, some of the symptoms that spring up in our lives, not just your life, but our lives, are things like resentment, envy, insecurity, a critical spirit, fantasy, marital affairs, jealousy, buying stuff you can't afford, an inability to enjoy what you currently have, an inability to rejoice in what someone else has. And uh, not trying to be cute, but at least trying to keep it in your head. The disease is basically what we're just going to call comparisonitis, all right? It's comparisonitis. It is the mountain of comparison. It's, it's, it's when I look in the mirror and then I look around, I look to my right and I look to my left, and I gauge how I'm doing based on how you're doing. I look to my right, I look to my left, and I'm like, you know what? I have that propensity to determine how I'm doing basically on how everybody else is doing. And as I studied this, I thought, man, this is all over the Bible. Right in the first few chapters of the Bible, there's uh, two brothers, uh, Cain and Abel, and they, they both bring offerings to God. And God rejects one, and God accepts the other one, and the one that didn't get his gift accepted went and killed his brother because in comparison, his gift was not accepted. One of the classic cases is uh, Jesus is saying, hey, the Last Supper, one of you is going to betray me. He's talking to the closest people to him. One of you is going to betray me. 
And you would think when they tells them that, they were like, go to all ends of the earth to figure out who is it, who is it, who is it? That's not what they do. Luke 22 says they actually start complaining and arguing over who's going to be the greatest. In comparison, who is going to be the greatest? But I think the most outstanding, outrageous story of this is in Numbers 11. Let me give you the background of what Numbers is. Numbers is basically the narrative. It's, it's almost like Moses' journal about the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. Now check out just historically what had happened just in their short span. They've been in the wilderness some maybe around a year. And in that short span, here's what God has done for them. God has rescued them from slavery and brought them into freedom. Actually, that sounds a lot like the gospel, doesn't it? He takes us out of slavery and he puts us into freedom. But in their case, he physically took them out of slavery in Egypt. He marched them across the Red Sea on dry land. He gave them breakfast every day that they didn't have to cook. All they got to do is go outside and gather it up. When they need guidance, he gives them a pillar of fire at night. He gives them a cloud by day. He is outrageously good to them, but this is how the story starts. So here's how Numbers 11 begins. All that, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, because God always hears it, when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So um, let me repeat what this is, and I'm going to try to give you how this is amazingly prevalent uh, and you have to fight it with all you've got. What is comparison? Again, it's basically determining how I'm doing based on how others are doing. It is fed, it is greenhoused, it is incubated by things like jealousy. Jealousy says, I wish I had it. Things like resentment. Resentment says, I wish you didn't have it. Covetousness, I want what you have. Complaining, verbalizing what I have is not enough. Let's go back to verse one. So verse one says this, and they complained, and they complained to the Lord. They complained, they complained because of their misfortune. Now understand, this is a theme throughout this book. The word complain is often translated in other places, murmur, mutter, or grumble. So what are they, what are they grumbling about? It's not specific. They use the term misfortune, which could mean, who knows? Maybe they're grumbling about the food. That's part of it, at least, because you see them kind of look at the breakfast God gave them in a few minutes and like, this stinking manna is terrible. Maybe it was Moses. Moses' leadership is too passive. Moses' leadership is too authoritarian. Whatever it is, they don't like Moses. Maybe they're complaining about the weather, this stupid cloud. Why don't you give us some sunshine? Whatever they're complaining about. Maybe they're complaining about each other. Listen, they're less than 13 months since they were enslaved and they're already mad about what God is doing. And again, you hear this over and over again. I'll give you some examples. And it says, here's a few of the phrases. And the people complained. Why can't we have more of this? When are we going to get some of that? Why don't you see that we need? Why don't you let us do this? Can't we know that? This isn't right. You should have done this over and over and over again. 
And then the text simply says, and they did so, and it says, in the hearing of the Lord. In the hearing of the Lord. Now, oftentimes we learn some things about the Lord when we see the way maybe we react. So if some of you are shocked, it's like, man, God got mad at that. God got mad at that. God got upset that that's what they were doing. Think about you as a parent. Okay, we're imperfect parents. But just think about you as a parent. Let me just paint a scenario. So let's say you were a parent and you were out with your spouse and you were out with a dinner and back home, let's say you have three kids. The older kid is old enough to babysit and they're babysitting at home. You guys come home, uh, the ki- you, you come in, uh, you don't make a lot of noise, but you hear some, you hear a little commotion, you hear a little conversation going on upstairs in the game room, but they don't hear you because you can tell the conversation is continuing. And so you think, man, that'll be interesting. Let's listen to what the kids are actually talking about and see if, and see, see if it's kind of fun to do. But you go up there, they don't hear you, you listen in, and here's what you hear. I wish dad would get a better job. Is dad lazy? Does dad not work hard at all? Another child pipes in, why can't we have some of the stuff that the Smiths have? You know the Smiths at church? Man, they got like the latest video games. Another one chimes in, what about the the Joneses at school? Man, they are like having the fanciest car. Why can't we have this? Why can't, another one's like, I'm so sick of mom's rules. Go to school, clean up your room, make your bed. Who does she think, who does she think she is? I'm not gonna take her bossy attitude anymore. All right, hypothetically. So you hear that, you hear that. Here's what I would guess would happen. Initially, as a parent, you probably would be hurt initially. Initially, we kind of hurt your feelings because you would have feelings like, man, we work hard. They don't have any idea. They don't have any idea what we sacrifice in order to give them this house. We don't really know that. You, did you know that your mom worked two jobs? Well, we went through grad school just so we could be able to provide for you like that. That's, that's kind of at first you're hurt, but if you're, if you're like me, if you're like most of us, that, that hurt in about 29 seconds turns to anger. And that anger, that anger is like, man, the nerve, the nerve of those kids, it's never enough. The things we've done to those, those little rug rats, I'll show you, I'll show you what the Smiths have, all right? You think the video games you have now are lame? You're gonna have less of those, that's, and listen, if, if we're imperfect parents and we respond like that, think about what a holy, righteous God who actually hears everything you've already said today, which is frightful in and of itself, oh, how does he feel? All right, just put that away for a second. Verse four, it says, now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. That's a cool little phrase. Strong craving literally means they craved a craving. They just, I gotta have something else. I really don't have anything specific that I want. I just know that what I have is not enough. And if I just had something else, then that thirst would be quenched, that appetite would be satisfied. I can't tell you what it is, but I just want something. That's what, that's what strong craving means. And they were so bent out of shape about it. The people of Israel, they also wept. I mean, they are so bent, they're crying about the situation they're in. And here's what they said, oh, oh, that we had meat to eat. Oh, that we had meat to eat. You're gonna see here in a second, they were disgusted with God's provision for them. So let me tell you a couple things that happen when we do this comparison trap, all right? The first one is this. 
Listen to me carefully. This is what will happen when you compare with other people. This is deadly. You will become discontent with what you have. You will become very discontent with the blessings that God has given you right now. Wish I had meat. I wish I had a different job. Some of you are like, I wish I had a different church. And you're just like, you know what? Discontentment with what you have. You don't like what you had. Somebody said this, they actually talked to somebody who had mouth cancer and because they had mouth cancer, they lost the ability to taste the food. And they're like, you know what? I missed that because I can't even tell if the food is good or bad. It just, it just doesn't taste good anymore. That's what, that's what this does to you. You know what? I just, I just don't like this anymore. I don't like my family. I don't like my church. I don't like my body. I don't like my job. I don't like anything at all. You don't know exactly what it is, but you know, you can't be happy at all. It's like, if only, which by the way, if only have got to be two of the deadliest words in the Christian vocabulary. Here's the way it goes. If only I had as much money as him. If only I was as smart as her. If only I looked like her. If only I had a spouse spouse like his. If only my kids were as well behaved as theirs. If only my parents weren't crazy. If only my in-laws weren't suffocating. If only my church was as big or only, only, if only I had that. If only we had meat. That's what it does. That is a horrendous way to live. And uh, let me just give you a couple of things. Sociologists have said social media has just accelerated this you know, by a factor of 10. It's just accelerated it so much more, uh, particularly in this generation. And here's why. Because when we look at other people's lives on social media, you do understand you are looking at a filtered image, correct? You understand, you understand you're looking at a filtered image. One study actually said this, two universities did a study and they made them look on Facebook for like a half an hour. And what they looked at is they looked at images of people in their same lot in life for half an hour and then said, what are your feelings? So let me tell you it again. They're studying it. They're like, you got to look on Facebook at people. If you're a teenager, looking at other teenagers' lives. If you're single, you're looking at other singles' lives. If you're all the same lot in life, look at that for 30 minutes and then said, what is your dominant feeling? A third of those people after looking at other images of people like them for just 30 minutes said, I am extremely depressed. I am depressed. Why? Because after looking at these other people, my life stinks. Why? Because you're looking at their highlight reel and you know the real you. And here's what happens. Um, This is the reason it's gotten so crazy is especially in the last 10 years. I mean, some of you all just remember, remember, uh, I mean, if you go back 25, 30 years ago, if you're like in grade school, I mean, you only had about 25 people to compare your life with, correct? I mean, that was your field of vision. You had 25 other people, whether it be kindergarten or elementary school, you had 25 other kids in your class. That's all you have to compare yourself. Well, I'm better than half the class. I'm not as good as the other half. But now with social media, we've got an uncountable number of people to compare ourselves to. Right, the whole world is our comparison. Every time a person will post on social media, what they're saying is, how do I compare with everybody else? How do I measure up? Do you like me? How many likes do I get? And if we're not careful, that is a trap. That is a trap. Please hear me. When you look at other people on social media, you are looking at a filtered image of them. And the reason that is deadly, either by watching it or posting only, you know what you ought to do today? You ought to post a real life picture of your life. It would do us good, because here's what's happening, is when we post on social media, 99% of us, we post a veneer. We post a faux image. 
You start to live life like that and you live a fake life. I mean, ladies, I particularly um, feel bad for you because you look at the images today. I mean, you were, if you weren't insecure to start with, just give all of your friends a phone that they can take a picture of themselves on how awesome they look. But just think about you. When's the last time you posted you woke up at six in the morning and took a selfie where you got a little clear seal or a zit or something you're working on? And you're like, hey, selfie, hey, women crush Wednesday. That's awesome. You know, you never, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. What happens is we do the very best thing. And here's what happens when we look at it. If we're not careful, we begin to resent what other people have. Or worse, we compare. We compare. Now, this can go into some funny stuff. It can go into funny stuff like, man, I wish I could have toys like that, and I wish I could have a truck like that, and you're just kind of just discontent. I mean, you didn't have anything wrong with your car until you saw home over there, and he got some awesome. It's like, yeah, my thing is kind of kind of lame right now. That's not that dangerous. What gets dangerous is when you start doing it to significant things in your life, like, uh, like your family, uh, like your marriage. If I see one more marriage end in this church because one of us looked on social media at an old flame and thought that that old flame was the one, and if I'd have just got the one, then my life would be nothing but strawberries and cream. You forget. When she broke up with you 20 years ago, it's because you were harsh and abusive. The reason you broke up with her 15 years ago is because she was cray-cray. That's why you're like, I can't handle that. And then now you look at that and you go, oh, look at that, man, that's awesome. Look at her, she's, man, she's taking care of herself. Do you understand? The grass is always greener on Instagram. You understand that? It's always greener on Instagram because it's not real. It's fake. It's, it's in your, it's fake-to-gram is what you ought to call it. That's the real name for it. Or in your Facebook, whatever you want to call it, that is what it should be because it's not real. And what it does is when you look at that long enough and you look at it long enough, then you start to look at what you have and you're like, stinking manna, stinking manna. It's not long before it goes from stinking manna to stinking man, stinking husband, stinking job, stinking church, stinking friends, stinking vacation. I mean, just look at how many times have you seen somebody on vacation and they post these awesome vacation pictures, you know, it's like hashtag Bahamas, you know, and you're like, hey, I've seen you like three times there in a year. You can't even afford to go to Lake Junaluska. And you're like, really, really, really? And you resent that. You resent it. Why? Because you're comparing, you're comparing, you're comparing, you're comparing. And so uh, this is what you see. And all it does is you are discontent. You're discontent. Brings no glory to God when all you're doing is whining about what we do not have. What we do not have. I don't have this, really. You know where grass, grass is greener where you water it, by the way. Grass is greener where you water it, all right? So men, thinking that grass is greener with that old flame, that's not where grass is green. Grass is green where you water it, so water your marriage. That's a preview of a couple weeks from now. All right, so uh, let's go to verse five. Here's verse five. Now this is, 
you kind of get, you almost want to laugh, but you can see yourself in the mirror so easily it's hard to laugh. Here's, here's the fantasy part I was talking about. We remember, we remember the fish. Remember, they're, they're a year out of slavery, and they're thinking how awesome being enslaved to the Egyptians was. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. They cost nothing. You know why it cost nothing? Because you're in chains. That's why it costs nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. I, I don't know what those are. Okay, the onions and the garlic. I mean, that's like they're fantasizing. First of all, there is no indication. I didn't read one scholar all week long that said, yeah, they probably had those. They didn't. The Egyptians had those. They dined on those. There's no indication. That is their Facebook fantasy. It's like, you know what? Back in the day, it was awesome. And uh, the food was awesome, yeah, because you ate it in chains. That's why. All right, so here, uh, so it can give you discontentment. Here's another one. It, it can bring dryness to your soul. That's what it does. I struggle with how to actually phrase this consequence, but it's just dryness. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. It says, I just... If in doubt, always just take the point from the text, correct? That's a little Bible lesson. But now our strength, what is it? It's just dried up. By the way, strength there is kind of an iffy translation. It actually is the idea of strength is soul. It's your whole person. It's like your soul is dried up. But now our soul, our strength, it's dried up. And listen, look at, look at the, look at the uh, disgust with God's provision in their life. And there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. <laughs> Nothing at all but this stinking manna to look at. Um, here's a way that basically it works out. It's like, God, this is lame. This is lame. This life you've given me is lame. You call this meeting my needs? I'm so sick and tired of this provision you have given me. God, I like you and all, I go to church and all, but life better be about a lot more than just you. It better be things like God and the perfect spouse, God and the impressive career, God in the house by the lake, God in the exotic vacation, God in the, and just you fill in the blank. Here's what it's saying, God, I, I want you, I just gotta have you plus some other stuff. So you, you gotta ask the question, what is the parallel in your life that you're like, I gotta have this, I gotta have it. If I'm ever gonna be happy, I gotta have it, I gotta have it. When we say, you know what, God, you are not enough, I've gotta have this other thing, the Bible term for that is idolatry. It's a good thing, and here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share how that actually parallels even in the mountains that we have, even to the mountain that I have. You gotta be real careful that that mountain that you're praying about doesn't become an idol Paul actually referring to this episode in 1 Corinthians 10 calls it just that. It calls it, their whole attitude was idolatry. Idolatry is a good thing, a good thing that you want, but it becomes so important, you can't live without it. If I don't have this, I'll never be happy. It becomes a God thing. And then it eventually will just either fall apart on itself or God will actually give it to you to show you that that does not meet the soul needs that you have. We don't have time to go to it, but a chapter or two from now, he's like, you want meat? You want meat? You want meat? I'll give you meat till it's coming out of your ears, I'll give you meat. And he gives them all this meat and finally like, stop, stop, stop. And um, 
When you look at it, I mean, not, bottom line, at some point in our hearts, we have to say nothing is essential, absolutely essential, but God. I mean, what is it going to take to come into our, into our heart of hearts to say, you know what, nothing is absolutely essential, essential, but Jesus. And so like, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how do I deal with this? Let me give you some anecdotes. Like if you had uh, some kind of virus or some kind of whatever, they're like, here, take this, take this, take this. So what do we take in order to get this? Because you can't get away from it, correct? You cannot get away from it. You can't even walk out of the church and not get away. You can't get away from it. So how do we, how do we deal with it? Let me give you two things and a couple challenges. Here's the first one. Um, I didn't know how to put this any gentler way. Is we have to repent of the idol of a perfect life. We need to repent of just the idolatry to say, you know what? God owes me a perfect life. God owes me a house in the woods, health, wealth, all that. We got to get away from that. That's an idol. Now, um, the good news, this is obviously an Old Testament story. The good news is we celebrate, we, what we celebrate here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that he did live the life we were supposed to live and died in our place. His sinless life, his substitutionary death allows us to run in repentance back to God. So when we start to see these things in your life and you start to see these things in your family and the consequences that it has and your inability to enjoy what God has given you, then the good news of grace is I can run back to God and say, God, I've made something more important than you. And let me, let me, go, let me go to this. Uh, um, I, I actually had, because a, a, a couple weeks ago, I fell out of rock as well, all right? Some of you know it, some of you don't. I'm not gonna tell you if you ask, but you probably don't have to guess that much. There's a, I mean, we, you know, our family's got a, particular rock and definitely is what I put down and it's probably about three years old and um, about a year into it um, I would say even after a year there was still such sadness just sadness just sadness and it affected everything everything just sadness I could tell you some things that what if I should uh, my wife, her closet for a year had virtually nothing but the color black in it. That's how bad it was. I'm serious. I'm not making that. I looked in the closet. I was like, what are you going to wear to a party? Uh, it was just because. So here's about a, uh, about a year into it, a pastor friend of mine who knew the whole situation. Here's what he said. And he was very, very uh, empathetic. So I'm not, he wasn't harsh at all. Here's what he said, though. He was just talking about the whole thing and how it affected everything and infected everything. It was just such a heaviness. And he's like, at some point, at some point, if the mountain never moves, if the mountain never moves, all right, if you basically forfeit all of your joy, if you forfeit that at the altar of that mountain, Bruce, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. That's idolatry, and I'm like, that is exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. I say that to say this. There was so much emotion when you filled out those rocks. You put some things down, we pray over them, and we've already seen some. I've gotten some emails already. I saw some even this morning on my email. Things that God has moved already, miraculous stuff, financial stuff, all that stuff. But the bottom line is, even in the mountains, we've got to get into our mind, Colossians 1, that it says all things are from him and to him, and that he must be preeminent in all things. 
So here's what I wrote down for me and for you. Following Jesus is not that in following Jesus it all goes right. The message of the scriptures is that in following Jesus, he is enough no matter what happens, that he is enough. Which, by the way, a quick parenthesis, this is why, by the way, every once in a while I go on a rabbit chase about the so-called prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is heresy. Why? Because it says the opposite. The prosperity gospel says Jesus is not enough. It's got to be Jesus and toys, Jesus and a house, Jesus and a horse for Christmas, Jesus and ever. And it's saying Jesus is not enough, and that's heresy, as well as unbiblical. Why? Think about the apostles. All of them died badly. They didn't just die. They all died badly. They got boiled to death. They got crucified upside down. They, got, they died badly. And so... At some point, you gotta be able to say he is enough. And I'm not saying you don't go for that mountain, all right? Pursue the healing, try to get the healing. But if you don't get it, you gotta be able to say he is enough. I mean, go for the prodigal. But if the prodigal doesn't come home or hadn't come home, at some point, you're like, Jesus is enough. If the marriage doesn't come back together and he chooses to leave, at some point, you gotta go, I'm praying that that guy repent, but Jesus is enough. At some point, deep in your soul, you've gotta be able to say, that mountain, I'm praying for it, I'm believing for it, but Jesus is enough. And second thing, and here's, here's the very practical one, is I'm gonna have to make a choice. I gotta replace gratitude, just gratitude for how good God is. Just gratitude for how good God is. Let me give you a spiritual principle that some of you, I, hadn't, I don't ever taught on this. The spiritual principle is if you take something out of your life that's bad, something God wants out of your life, and this could be virtually anything. When God says, remove this out of your life, if you don't replace it with something good and godly, and there's just a vacuum there, oftentimes you will go back deeper into that bad part. And a, a cross-reference, by the way, for that might be Matthew 12, 43 to 45, where Jesus expels a demon basically out of this guy. I mean, he doesn't do anything with it, doesn't do anything with it, doesn't do anything with it, and then he ended up worse than he was before. And so what do we want? We want to get rid of all this complaining. We want to get rid of resentment. We want to get rid of envy. We want to get rid of covenants. We want to get rid of comparison. But we've got to replace it with something. What do we replace it with? We want to replace it with gratitude. Gratitude. The Israelites were coveting and comparing. It seemed oblivious that God had even ever intervened in their life. They just had forgotten. They had spiritual amnesia. God did what? God did what? What Red Sea? What manna? What Egyptians? What cloud? What fire? What guidance? So what we do. What mercy? What patience? What forgiveness? What family? What health? What job? What car? What whatever? Just replace it. Instead of going, God, I'm so sick of this. Traffic on 26. Replace that. God, thank you I got a car to drive. Thank you I got a car to drive. So sick of these nursery workers being late in church. God, thank you, you gave me a child. Thank you, you gave me a church that cares for kids. So sick of this, sick of this weather. Thank God you don't live in Houston, okay? Thank God you live in Western North Carolina. That's what you, every time there's something you can thank him for. And uh, they just express it. Thanks for a new day. Thanks for health. Thanks for friends. Thanks for family. Thanks for food. Thanks for football. Thanks for all this stuff. Just sometimes just stop and think when you're having like a super bad day, remind yourself of where you should be. Remind yourself of where you should be. What we should be theologically is under judgment in hell. Instead, what are you? If you've received Christ, you're a child of God. You've been adopted, forgiven, uh, redeemed, reconciled. 
God has put the spirit of God within you. He's put the people of God around you. He's giving you the promises of God to hold on to. I mean, just talk, you just go over and over. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. As a matter of fact, I want to make a motion that today would be dubbed a no complaint Sunday, okay? And just say, God, by the power of God, before I get up in the morning, if I say one complaint, one complaint, would somebody just call me out? Call me out. Just call me out. And that's accountability. Have your accountability buddy say, hey, for the rest of the day, this is a no wine zone, okay? No wine zone. We're not doing it today. Now, again, I, I know you're like, you are like the worst counselor. I am correct. I am terrible. I'm terrible. But by the way, you're complaining right there that I'm the worst counselor. So it's back on you. But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, some of you are like, you know, that's all you got. You got gratitude. That's like a bandaid for my bullet wound. That's what that is. I've been through some stuff. And as I said before, there's a huge difference between crying out to God in your pain, which is encouraged and just sitting over there muttering and murmuring about the insufficiency and the lack of provision for God. God wants you to come to him. God wants you to come to him. All right. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Call on me in your day of trouble, and I will hear you, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Another psalm says, God hides your tears in a bottle. So it's not a matter of saying this is the band-aid for that. But what happens is when we sit over in the corner murmuring and muttering and complaining and comparing about and the idol of the perfect life, oftentimes we're forfeiting the grace that God wants to pour in your life anyway. You just forfeit it and you just end up living in the wilderness. That's what happens. That's wilderness living. God's like, hey, I got this promised land right over here. It's full of joy. It's not perfect. It's not without, it's not without pain. That's called heaven. But I got this joy. I got this satisfaction. I got this provision. I got it right over here. All you got to do is cross that river. And um, so here's, um, here's kind of, I tried to think about this because I said, all I had to do is look in the mirror. You're like, you're kind of reading my mail about my inner feelings. You're like, all I've got to do is look in the mirror, bro. So here's, here's kind of what I put for me and you can come along. And by the way, some of you are like, uh, uh, you know what? I, I, I can't write fast enough when you put those, just, it's going to be out today. All right. So the good part about social media is you can take a prayer, post it out there and hopefully get blessed by it. So here's a, here's, here's a prayer. And this is, sometimes the prayers are there to summarize and to put as a, you know, sometimes we say them like last week, you know, I'm adopted, I'm free, I'm forgiven. It's almost like, okay, this is a reminder of a promise from God. This is more of a prayer to God. Dear good and gracious God, thank you for delivering me out of slavery and into freedom by your gospel of grace. And that's where it's got to start. Do you, as you sit in church today, know for a fact that you've been delivered by the grace of God. Do you know that there's a point in time where you crossed over, all right? Just like the people had to cross over into the promised land, a person's gotta cross over into faith in Jesus, all right? And the way that happens is called repentance and faith. Repentance means I'm changing direction. I'm going this direction, I'm going the wrong direction, and I'm gonna go back and I'm going the direction of Jesus. When you receive Jesus, you say, what he did on the cross, it counted for me. Somehow, when he said, it is finished, when he said, it is finished, he took my sins on himself, and I believe that. You can do that right where you, you, you don't even have to close your eyes. <laughs> you can even do that. Your eyes can be open, and right now you're like, you know what? I want to be a Christian. I'm embracing Jesus as, as my Savior. What he did on the cross counted for me. Change me, make me who you want me to be, all right? So that's the starting point, obviously. Thank you for delivering me out of slavery into freedom by your gospel. Here's where, here's, here's where it comes, we gotta be real. Forgive me for mine. I just picked a few, envy, jealousy, 
comparison. Not every comparison is wrong. In other words, part of discipleship is comparing. It's like, hey, I see a guy who's treating his wife a lot better than I treat my wife. And you kind of compare and you do it to become a better biblical man. We're talking about the comparison trap of if only I had this. So again, and for thinking you are not enough. That's what I had to repent of about two years ago. My mountain had become an idol. I'm being truthful. My mountain had become an idol that I worshiped at. And if the mountain didn't move, the joy wasn't returning, and my joy is supposed to be first and foremost in the Lord, even if it's painful. So what do you do? You ask. God, give me strength to go through the rest of this day. Is that it? It's not a high bar. This is like junior varsity, okay? Low bar, just the rest of this day. With gratitude on my lips. And I put this in as a reminder for all of us. I want to continue to entrust my mountain to your good hand. That's why we start off good and gracious God. 